0: The sacred Jedi texts! A pound of old books.
1: Star Wars Sessions Book Club. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the galaxy, and welcome to Star Wars Sessions Book Club. My name is Matt Hudson, a.k.a. Jabba the Hud, and here on this show, I'm going to be joined by a cavalcade of rabble-rousers and scruffy-looking nerf-herders to discuss the canon Star Wars novels. Yes, that's right.
0: The Sacred Jedi Texts!
1: One book at a time, in any order, we see fit, really. Uh, This episode, for tonight, we're going to be focusing on Chuck Wendig's Aftermath novel, the first novel of the trilogy. Aftermath. And I'm going to be joined by a wonderful crew of misfits. Let's find out who they are. First up is a man who loves Wheel of Time, and he's a Star Wars Sessions patron, which immediately makes him a Don. It's Jacob Blusk. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not
0: too bad, thank you. Not too bad. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good. Thank you for coming on to talk Aftermath, mate, and for throwing your hat into the ring to talk about a... Well, a book I'm sure will cover about the controversy that surrounded this book. You're also joined by, this is fantastic, I've got a couple of Cal Kessises with me, the third member of tonight's gang, i tell you something, I've, had, I've spoken to him before on other shows, he's a smooth-talking scoundrel, he's a fantastic journalist and writer, and also a patron, as it turns out, from Insider, it's Eamon Jacobs. How you doing, mate? I'm not too bad cheers yes uh I am trying to be the next Cal Kestis what can I say um... no, no this is fantastic I, I'm, I mean it's like looking at a couple of beefcakes it's like looking at Fallen Order cow and then Jedi Survivor cow. in front of me <laughs> this is incredible I'll take that uh, I'm right, yeah that's great <laughs> there we go uh yeah no thank you guys for coming on and giving up your time the evening to talk about uh Chuck wendig's aftermath tonight for those who are new to book club we've done one of these before with lost stars it was about two years ago mind and i've been wanting to do this ever since so we're going to do it a bit more regularly now but we're going to talk about the book in in as much depth as we want to get into but of course that entails spoilers so if you haven't read chuck wendig's aftermath i am going to tell you to pause this go get it go download it and come and listen to what we have to say about the book which i'm holding right here for those listening here it is Chuck Wendig's Artemov. So we're going to spoil it. If you haven't read it or you don't care, that's fine. Carry on. And we're going to talk all about it right now. So as I mentioned, it's written by Chuck Wendig. It was released on September the 4th, 2015, which is also known as Force Friday as part of the Journey to the Force Awakens line. It was also released on the same day as Lost Stars. So as it turns out, we've done that book as well. And I know everyone has opinions on those two being released at the same time. But this book was set four years after the Battle of Yavin, so four years after A New Hope, and roughly 30 years before The Force Awakens. And it initially picks up at the very end of Return of the Jedi in a place called Monument Plaza, Coruscant. Uh, Palpatine statues being ripped down by these revelers and stormtroopers, they attack a father as he tells his son, The war is not over, which is what it says in the front cover. Obviously, the book is called Aftermath. We're dealing with the immediate aftermath of Return of the Jedi and then in the kind of weeks, days, weeks and months afterwards. So after that long old intro, I want to hear what you lads have to say about this book. So obviously, it, when it came out, a bit of controversy about it. Maybe it wasn't what everybody thought it was going to be. Chuck Wendig is famously outspoken as well online. Um, so when it first came out, what were your thoughts on it? And having revisited... Have they changed at all, Eamon, mate? Uh, so when it first came out, um,
2: my top level thoughts were, this is quite messy. Mm-hmm. Um, considering this was meant to be ramping up into the sequel era, I was just a little bit thrown off by the setting and just the sort of individual cast of characters that we meet. Um largely because I expected it to tie into the sequels a little bit more than it does. Yeah. Now, granted, that sort of stuff happens further on into the trilogy, but in this first book, I just expected a little bit more. That being said, I once I kind of got familiar with characters, I was like, yep, I'm on board. Like Their personalities, once they come through, are really fun to read, um, especially Sinjir, yeah. uh, who who is just an utter savage at times. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, and they sort of feel fresh without leaning on like the heroes and villains that we all know and love. Um, but yeah, it's it's messy, but it's stupidly enjoyable at the same time. Um, and I, I still feel like that now, like rereading it. There's moments where I was like, this uh, sort of the structure of the story is so sort of clunky at times. Mm-hmm. It's like, it throws about to, to little vignettes of of certain things, which we'll get onto in a bit, I'm sure. But it
1: just, um, it's quite off-putting to read a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear that. What about yourself, Jacob, mate?
0: Yeah, I think I wasn't actually aware of the controversy surrounding it, to be honest, because um, I think I read it maybe a year or so after it came out. Um, mm-hmm. That's when I was only just starting getting into reading like the canon books. I think it was like shortly after I read maybe the Tarkin one. Um, so I wasn't aware of any of that but a lot of the stuff you brought up, I and mean, I, like, completely agree. To be honest, like, I I really enjoyed the style of the book. Um, like, uh, for me, that really did it for me. I just really quite dug it, like, dug it basically. But I did feel that, considering it was meant to be post Return of the Jedi, building up to the Force because it felt very small scale, like, very a personal tale, not necessarily the grand epic sort of tale I was expecting perhaps as the aftermath of the Return of Jedi, what's happening in the wider galaxy? Oh, it's a little portion of it that's over one planet. I'm like, not quite what I was expecting. And that's completely separate from what I knew, well, I now know of the controversy surrounding it.
1: Yeah, a lot of the controversy was, some of it anyway, was based around what you've just said. A lot of people went into it expecting to see what you may have seen in Legends. You're going to find out what Han did, what Luke did, what Leia did, Lando, and everybody. But this book doesn't deal with that. You get a little bit of Han in one of the interludes and you kind of get a nod here and there to some of our major characters. But a lot of people are quite upset that the book didn't deal with that. Now, a lot of people are also upset about um, the fact that Sinjir in this book was the first openly gay character in the canon and probably in Star Wars literature that I know of anyway, in terms of legends. I know that's a sweeping statement, but Chuck Wendig was very outspoken online about the inclusion of Sinji and some people's thoughts against him. And it got very messy and it led to uh, the classic one star review bombing on Amazon. And people uh, people have it then who maybe hadn't read Chuck Wendig's style before, didn't really jive with it. I mean, this book is written, what, it's written in the first per- first person, or sorry, in the present tense, which is a very, uh, for me, I struggled with it on the first uh, read. I genuinely did. The first time I read it, I I got about a third of the way through and I had to stop. Um, as in, when I as in put it down, I, just, I, I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't really vibing with the characters too much or the situation. And this was back in 2015 in the journey to The Force Awakens. I went to read Lost Stars instead and had a great time with that book. I think that book's excellent. And not long after, now when The Force Awakens came out, I went back and reread the book because I wanted to see... What were the tie-ins? Were, any, were there any characters mentioned? And there are there are tie-ins in this book. I mean, if you now, in retrospect, you can reread this and think whether Chuck Wendig knew it or not, he was you know setting the table for some pretty big events. Um, but at the time when I first read it, I wasn't overly impressed by it, and a lot of it was down to the writing style. When I read, yeah, when I reread it after the Force Awakens or finished it, I enjoyed it. Uh, but I kind of realised it's the first part of a trilogy, which is a complain film fans have when they don't like some or even in a series when oh I didn't like this film it didn't give me all the answers I wanted well it's it's part of a series an ongoing series so I kind of got that so I put it down waited for the next books to come out and we'll speak about those in a future episode but upon rereading this I dug it I really did like you both said there are parts of this which they're clunky and there are there are threads set up which don't really seem to go anywhere, and there are passages or sequences which felt a bit overblown. There's one which I'll mention, or we'll all mention about um, the imperial meeting on Akiva. At times, that's excellent, and at times it kind of drags it a little bit. Um, but I'm really I'm really into this period of time now, post bet- between six and seven. All of the stuff that's come out since then, that includes stuff like Mandalorian, uh, even like Battlefront Two, and that. I'm digging it, man, because I think I just wanted something new uh, and I didn't realize that at the time in 2015, but we've had the o t and the p t for so long we've we've lived with that that I just now I know I just want I want the new stuff and I want new new things, I want to go forward, I want to push forward in the timeline, new characters, and the characters in this book, like you said, guys, they are they are fresh let's let's talk about let's talk about some of the characters we've mentioned Sinjir straight up. he's a former imperial loyalty officer. Who was, uh, he deserted on Endor. He loves a drink and he's got um, <laughs> buckets full of sass, like my guest tonight. Um, Sinjir, I mean, Jacob, when, you, when you're reading Sinjir, you know, how, 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 do, how are you taking to him? It seems like we're all a fan of him. Yeah,
0: flat out one of my favourite characters in this book. To be honest, like <laughs> like you said, <laughs> genuinely just the amount of like t- like the amount of sass, particularly towards uh, like Tem, like the the boy. I'm like, come Tim. on, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no reason for it, but still brilliant.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see more of him. I don't know if we ever will do or not, but I'd love to see more of him going or of him going forward. Do you think there's a place for him going forward, Eamon, in books, comics, or uh, live action? I mean, just for his personality,
2: absolutely. Um, I mean, his introduction alone is just a perfect little snapshot of of, of just Star Wars goodness. Do you know what I mean? It's like in the bar, having a drink, causing some chaos, getting into a fight with some stormtroopers. It's just perfect. Yep. Throw in his sass on top of that. And it's just, it's so much fun to read um and i think you've got that really interesting sort of evolution of a character of you know he's a former imperial yeah and not just that you know he's former imperial loyalty officer which in itself is a is an interesting role to have and Mm -hmm. not one we've really seen anywhere else again that is a sweeping sweeping statement but off the top of my head not sure um and I just think that that would be a, a fascinating insight into another area of the empire that that fans haven't really seen much of outside of this trilogy. Um, and you know, give me a give me a six issue miniseries comic <laughs> just for Sinjit
1: and, yes. and his antics. Do you know what I mean? Like
2: he's he's just excellent. It's just
1: excellent. I'd like to get like a cocktail menu, or whatever it is he drinks, because he's always got these really odd selection of drinks i don't know if galaxy's edge do all of them or not but um, yeah i i found him to be i found <laughs> it to be very very cool uh he's not one that i some of the characters to start with i thought well oh, i'm not entirely sure or i'm not vibing with you or you're annoying me i didn't get that with sinjir which is funny because he's clearly the, the 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 loudest or the most brash of the characters that we that we meet whereas some of the other ones we get are maybe either slightly less developed or their personality is just more introverted. But Sinjir, I think he's a fan favorite. I think he's come out of this trilogy or this book at least, and the trilogy, let's just say it as a fan favorite. Uh, I don't, but I think he's, I think he was mentioned in another book as in indirectly mentioned. It might be like last shot or something, but other than that, he hasn't shown up at all. Um, but I would like to see more of him because he adds, he adds some much needed, and uh, we've said sass, but he adds, he adds some much needed flair, some personality, to to the group that's not to say that the group our core group are boring or anything like that but you 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 need a singe in this group i think to really elevate things but um what about any of the other characters throw one at us and let's chat Uh, Temin. it's gotta be tem
2: (laughs) yeah i mean i i love the way that it introduces him in you know in his shop and (laughs) sort of Okay. The, the the sort of moment when you realise who he is and who he's related to um further into the book you know, his mother is is uh, Nora. Um I loved just how sort of scrappy and feisty he is. Yep. Um but in a sort of badass kind of way, yeah. like you yeah. you really get the feeling that he's been on his own for, for quite some time and it that's left him not quite bitter, but he's had to fend for himself. Yeah. Um, in some interesting ways, uh, <laughs> droids, um, <laughs> murder droids, um, oh,
0: murder wait. droid,
2: oh, murder droids. When I realised what was happening, I was like, "Oh hell yes!" yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. I, I'm gonna have to say it. Like, Tim and Mister
0: Bones, Bones, yeah, just, just incredible. Like, like that. that, yeah, was so good. I absolutely loved Mr. Bones' introduction in the book. Like flat out, my I think that is probably my favourite scene in the book. Period. Like it's just, oh, wow. the it, just the way, just the way. Like it's, I just really liked it. To be honest, it's yeah. I, Bones, I still Bones is an
1: one battle droid, isn't he? So he's a yes, re- yeah. repurposed one, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah. And what was it? So that's it. I remember it because he's in the shop, isn't he? And he's introduced well, performing yeah. violence, which is kind of what he does for the rest of the book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just a little bit. See, actually, I didn't realise with Tem, like, that he was actually in the sequel trilogy, like, later, I was, when I was playing, I think, the Lego Star Wars uh, Skywalker saga, like, over Christmas, he <laughs> came up, I know, I literally came up with the subtitles and it said, Tem, i My like, wait a second. Because yeah. I completely yes. forgot he was in the background. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. That's
1: right. he's, uh, he's Greg Grumbug's character in The yes, Force Awakens yeah. and The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got him down as um, in... JJ, I promise me. That's it, JJ's, man. I'm looking yeah. at Eamon's a- face. Do you, rem- do you remember in The Rise of Skywalker when Princess I, Leia I know, uh... I know exactly who you mean, but you've just like blown my mind a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I guess so>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I, oh my God! After watching the film again and going back to finish the book... i saw snap wexley i thought oh damn that's a that's a really cool tie-in to the to to the film it's not like you've got han solo running around as our hero i know we've got wedge but like temin who is essentially a he's a a tertiary character pretty much in the films he's just there at the base basically and he's there to to die in the battle of exegol spoilers for the rise (laughs) of skywalker but then when you read these books that moment means that little bit more which is what a good which is what the canon for me should do that if it's going to tell the story of Tem in wexley when we get to the rise of skywalker and we see him get shot down you know it take it for me it take me back to him in this book anyway on akiva um the you know battle, battling within the kind of rebellion later on in the book scheming against the empire fighting with his mother his relationship with bones that kind of that means a little bit more now when you think oh I know what happens to this character going forward. But if you don't read the book, then it doesn't matter, I guess. But if you do read this book and the trilogy, it means that little bit more. Uh, Temin, yeah, Temin annoyed me to start with. Um, <laughs> but it, it, this is a funny one, though, because I've said before on the main show that for me, Aftermath works so well as an audio book. I think other other people have said that as well. But as an audio book, this thing slaps. It's, you know, it's like somebody's reading it to me and all of the kind of all of chuck wendig loves a met- metaphor let's just throw that in now he loves a metaphor and he loves kind of unconventional um structure and unconventional phrases in his book which when written down uh he, when he's talking about a tie fly tie, a tie fighter being all wibbly wobbly in the sky it reads really weirdly but on the audiobook mark thompson gives it a little bit of a push and makes it he tries to sell it a bit more um, so in the book, I didn't mind Temmin as much, but the audiobook, book, the, the voice they gave him was really bad. Um, it's a really, really annoying sort of teen voice. But I got, I grew to really dig Temmin's character, um, especially now knowing that he's in The Force Awakens and the other films going forward. Uh, Mr. Bones, I, I really like the idea of that repurposed B1 battle droid. Um, the kind of new HK-47 as well for the Legends fans. Um, <laughs> Wedge. About well, Wedge is in it. Obviously, Wedge had a huge kind of renaissance within Legends. He's in all of the OT. Legends, he's treated as a Legend with Phantom Squadron and everything else. Uh, here, he's um, he runs a routine mission over Akiva to try and find Imperial holdouts. And when well, he finds one on Akiva, he finds a Star Destroyer and he finds the pretty much the imperial council he gets captured he gets roughed up he gets knocked out and captured more times than i'd like to say uh but he gets a he gets a message out to the new republic they come to save him that's where the the book ends up at but wedge what are you guys thinking about in this is he is he a fan favorite too did, did you kind of did you get excited when you saw wedge because i know a lot of people who have read this book you know, Wedge to them is is a hero. They got really excited. So I mean when you read this when were you were you thinking, Oh yes, my boy Wedge is back
2: Absolutely, right. <laughs> uh, context <laughs> Context. When I was I will have been eight and nine, maybe ten, and I used to go stay with my nana for a weekend and she used to buy me like Star Wars comics at the, nice at the little news agents. And the one that I distinctly remember was Wedge dealing with the aftermath literally, um, of uh, <laughs> of fighting on the Death Star. Um, and I remember it because there's a panel of him looking just out into space and it's really emotional and it's really good. Um, especially for a kid's comic, it was quite, you know, a yeah. bit, of, bit surprisingly emotional. Anyway, <laughs> so when I turned the page I was like, oh, it's Wedge. This is just, this is kind of something I didn't know I needed. Do you know what I mean? That's um, really cool. So, so I loved the just the the continuing adventures of Wedge Antilles um yes. but it also had like a, an espionage feel to it yeah um like when he's crawling around in the vents and stuff like that and uh you know getting shot by Sloan and and <laughs> all sorts I was like this has got like a weird kind of not quite James Bond feel a little bit Jason Bond feel to it somehow um except he you know gets his Guess his butt kicked a little bit, uh, but uh, yeah, I, bit. I was I was really surprised and just pleasantly surprised to see him in there.
0: I don't know. I, I was a bit more middle of the road about it to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the in the sense of like because it's most of the most of the main characters are completely new, basically, um, or like at least from other canon books. Like Sloane being from I think um, New Dawn or a something. New Dawn, like that. Yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like you've got all these new characters, but like. We've brought in some canon characters from the films to help support the new ones a little bit, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, it's not I'm not. It's not necessarily a complaint. It's like, I don't mind the fact that it is Wedge. It's a minor character. It's not like bringing in Han Solo, who was captured. It's like, okay, we get to see, get to see a bit more of Wedge. But I'm like, I'm still a bit like, we could have gone full hog with the new characters. Instead, mm-hmm. we're still relying a little bit on the characters from the films. But I don't know. That's Yeah. So I'm a little bit more middle of the road about it.
2: No, I just mean, I completely get it. Like, it, it's kind of like a crutch to lean on um, rather than sort of letting the new cast speak for themselves.
0: Yeah. 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 That's what I was trying to get at. Slightly better. Yeah, that's
1: it. my, that's been my, <laughs> that was my kind of, that was my thing with um, like other shows or even other films that have come out in recent years in Star Wars that kind of wish that they had the confidence to go with the characters that they've set up and they've created that. Millions of fans around the world have taken to their hearts. I really kind of wish sometimes they'd stick to their guns and do and you know give them the give them the kind of the credit in the hero's moments. But when I saw it as Wedge, I wasn't I, I'm, I'm more on Jacob's side, but I but I'm also with Eamon. Obviously, growing up with the OT, you know, seeing Wedge, you know, the, the hero who who took down the Death Stars or was it was in the fight for both of them that's very cool. So I had that kind of pang of oh, that's awesome. We get to find out more. They're not, it's not just wedged a pilot and that's all he'll ever be he's like you say he's he's almost like james bond he's a re- reconnaissance man he's an absolute badass in this he's taken he he takes a beating he gives a beating we're talking sass this guy's also got it for days as well he's, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't um you know he doesn't back down from anyone and the characterization i thought was really cool and how he then integrates with the members of the aftermath team obviously with nora he becomes uh friendly with nora um, which is something which kind of permeates the rest of the rest of the trilogy. But yeah, when I saw it as wedge, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a cool idea. I understand what you're saying though, Jacob, in the idea sense that would it be, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be in cool of that as a new character? I guess if it's the first Canon book, the, which it really was, you know, the first major Canon book, I understand why they were kind of like, let's, you know, let, let's give, let's throw a bone somewhere. If we're not making this about the OT heroes, let's chuck a bone in somewhere. Um, And Wedge, you know, Wedge gets captured enough times. Like I said, Nora, though, Nora Wexley, you know, awesome pilot, a Star Wars mother who isn't there to just die, which is quite, quite exciting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's he's just trying to raise her son basically, or, or, or reconnect with her son after the chaos of Endor, after being a rebel, but she uh, she has a double double death fake out in this, which is something I was I was oh. a year ago I was a bit like oh. ah the I and honestly the first one I was like wow okay that's that was uh, that's bold fair fair dues and then she walks in a two chapters later and then they do it again I thought come on man yeah. um it's, know. you know it's <laughs> Huey all over again I like the character of Nora though I think she had some stoicism and a bit of um, a bit of bite to the team. Whilst also, like we mentioned, she is a mother who is just trying to do best for her son. Her husband was taken in the night by the Empire years ago, so she doesn't know where he's gone. So she's been dealing with that for years. There's a real complexity, I think, to that to that character, which Wendig sets up. I think he writes the characters exceptionally well, and I really do. I think he's got a real hold on these characters. I think he's got a real passion for them, but... I mean, I've just mentioned the double, the double death, the fake out, and Jacob almost put his fist through the window. Yeah, you weren't yeah. a fan of that,
0: no. I wouldn't have minded, to be honest. Like, if it's like one fake out of death and Norway, and then someone else, I wouldn't have minded too much. But the fact that they did it to the same character like twice in the same book, I'm like, come on!
1: <laughs> yeah, you've got to kill <laughs> I give us saw that strength. one coming a mile off. You are you a fake out fan, that Absolutely not! I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) Like
2: it's lazy. It is lazy storytelling, and it always will be. Um, I just think the the Tie Fighter one, especially. I was like, really? Sure. Um, (laughs) Projector seats, I guess.
1: And then because before that they were saying. TIE fighters don't have ejector seats. Oh, no. And then she walks in and she's like, oh, it turns out they do. And, like, Some- somehow Nor Wexley returns. <laughs> <laughs> I exactly what that is. <laughs> what is. But the character, though, uh, as as a character, how how did you find her in this book?
2: She's great. She's yeah. like you say, she's got bite to um, her. Yeah. And she's not afraid to just, like, put people in their place. Yeah. And I think that works really well within this specific team. Um, and like, it also works quite nicely in that dynamic she has with, with her son. Like, you know, yes, she wants to look out for him and make sure that he's okay, but she's also having to accept the fact that he is now his own person. He is his own man. Um, so she sometimes has to bring a bit of that bite out to actually, you know, reinforce her own authority, um, which, you know, it, it keeps it fresh than just like, you know, uh, sidelining and make sure he's not in the action or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I really liked the the pairing of them both.
0: Yeah. Like just add to that. I really like the fact, like I completely agree with everything you said, like cuts falling. Like I really like them, particularly the, the nuance of the fact that she has nightmares from the Death Star run. Like mm, when she yeah. did that, which I felt that was like an added depth to a character that is sometimes missing from Star Wars. Like I at least from my My personal opinion, anyway, but um, so it's really nice to read that. I like the tension between her and her son, like trying to reconnect with both, also her trying to keep on her duties with the now new republic. So it's like, I just, yeah, I just really liked how that was all written. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, the nightmare part is, is is a good thing to say. And yeah, she was at the Battle of Endor as well, like we mentioned. So that kind of PTSD or the ramification, the fallout or the aftermath, if you will. I, that's what, again, that's what the, this book or these books do very well. It, it, there is consequence. And I like that Chuck Wendig, you know, he continues that thread. It isn't just this happens and then let's move on. Even with the fake out deaths, we are allowed, afforded time with Temin to kind of grieve somewhat and the rest of the team before, you know, we then... Back to where we started, but um, well, uh, we've mentioned all the all, all the other gang. We've got the we've got the sassy Sinji. We've got the kind of spunky Temin. We've got the sympathetic yet kind of snappy Nora to round and Mister Bones, the murder droid, to round off the the team. The kind of core new characters we have the the bounty hunter the Zabrek Jazamari, who is very brash and very kind of self self minded in in her actions. Um another bounty hunter into the Star Wars Star Wars canon. Um obviously her dynamic against the rest of the team was interesting, which is what we said up top is everyone has their own personality, but Sinji for me is the glue that holds together. What did we think about what are we thinking about Jazz's character, Jacob man?
0: Um, to be honest, I'm, I I was taking some notes while reading the book and I literally don't have that much written about Jazz, to be honest, at all, apart from she was a bounty hunter and was at Endor 2. That's literally all I've got written about her. Like... I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's like... I feel she's good, but, like, in a way, she, for me, she served more of a purpose in the plot more as opposed to being a character, like, just to... Look, I've got some bounties. I've got the same goal as you. Let's work together, sort of thing. Like... I, nothing really beyond those motivations for count, like collecting the bounties really. Um I don't know. I she, she was my least favourite out of the group and I just I felt like a bit of like a like spare part almost in the in the group. But anyway, that's that's just what I think about it.
2: I I you know I have to agree. I mean this Here she's we go. she's fine. She's alright. She's mm-hmm. she's okay. Um she's not, you know, painful to read or anything. Um the moment that sort of sticks out to me is when she has the fake horn that she pulls off. Um, when they're, when they're imprisoned, I was like, that's quite cool. That's quite an interesting way of, you know, uh, that's something that a bounty hunter would do, you know, is use her own anatomy as a way of, you know, getting the (laughs) upper hand sort of thing. Um, I I was, yeah, that was cool. Um, but that's, I was kind of the same. I really didn't, she didn't add loads to it. Um, She's a great padding for the rest of the team and like you say for her history and um, fighting on, on Endor and stuff like that it was great but I, yeah it didn't really
1: change yeah. <laughs> dramatically for me it was like he was in it yeah no no that's fair enough lads
0: I, one thing just like with all the Kinect characters it just I don't know it felt a bit contrived the fact that we have we had three of our main characters Jazz, Sinjir and Nora all of them being at Endor in Some capacity, Mm. and even Sinjir and Jazz meeting, crossing paths there. Yes, like it's like I appreciate the fact that connecting up to the Battle of Endor, like the fact that Jazz is trying to collect a bounty on Princess Leia, you've got Nora doing the the Death Star run. I'm like, that's great, that's all great, but also that's quite contrived a little bit, at least in my mind. But I, I, you know, I hear
1: that, mate, especially because Sinjir isn't a soldier you know they said that he's he's an he's an imperial loyalty officer he's a torture agent basically he's an agent of chaos as the joker would say he's not a soldier and he says that himself he, he's he's handy in a scrap but he, he why he i know that, i know they kind of explain why he's there but the fact that he through the through the chaos and the pan, and the pandemonium he sees jazz that yeah that i i totally understand and then remembers it months or weeks later whatever because i mean even if like if like battlefront 2 was shown us anything you've got imperial so no, inferno squad on one side of endor it's huge they're they're watching the death star blow up but they're nowhere near the main action but they're still there it, 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 it makes things a little bit smaller nora obviously nora i can obviously understand being it as a pilot but i know what you mean about the contrivances of them all then coming together in the same room and it's like the spider-man Pointing meme. After a while, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I don't really have many notes for Jazz. Other than yeah, she's running from debts. She's she's the niece of Sugi from the Clone Wars, which is a cool little tie-in. And the ship from the Clone Wars called Halo. She she flies that, Uh, but that that's just a cool tie-in more than anything. She and I on your point about being a kind of plot device. She she actually is a plot device for one for a moment, which I thought was really odd in the book. Late it's about halfway two-thirds of the way through the book when the gang are in are in the tunnels. They're, you know, they're trying to escape through the tunnels and she's having a discussion with Sinji. Now, at this point, it's been very clearly stated to me that Sinji is a gay character. He's talking about, he was interrogating someone once and he said, you know, he's a, he's a good-looking guy and he's got a handsome face and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, it's insinuated, you know, fairly obviously. Uh, and then later in the tunnel, he says something like, you know, I want to... Oh, I need to have a chat with you about something, uh, Jazz, and she's like, "Yeah, fine." You know, basically, she says, "Let's get it on." It literally out <laughs> of nowhere, and he's like, and, and she's like, he's like, "What?" And she's like, "Yeah, you know, you seem like a nice guy. That's fine by me." And he's like, "No, I. That's you know, I'm not into this kind of thing." And I felt that was a little bit kind of on the nose from Chuck Wendig when we'd already ascertained the character of of Cinder earlier on, and just that because. The the reason I bring it up is that's never mentioned ever again. Like that coming together, or that that jazz has any kind of feelings for him in any way, is never brought up ever again. It just seemed really in the moment, and I thought it sort of blew to be honest a little bit. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I haven't really got much more about jazz. I didn't dislike it; I wasn't bored by her. Yeah. But she is the muscle of the group. She does have more to do later on in the books, but in this one, she is more muscle. Uh, so that, that that's our kind of main gang. Now, of course, we get a ton of other characters um, and obviously to go through every single one would be torture for everybody involved. But I mean, to chuck some out, we've already mentioned Ray Sloan, uh, Mon Mothma's in here, uh, Admiral Akbar, we get Youp Tashu, one of Palpatine's advisors, Cobb Vanth, everybody's favourite hunky uh, sheriff is here. Uh, Commander Orgate, she's very cool. We get a mysterious operator who I'm know we'll speak about. We're introduced to the acolytes of the Beyond, a group called the Ankle Biter Brigade. <sighs> what, what a name! Uh, John Burrell as well, who who gets more to do. Um, so I throw those names out there for you guys to put in a blender. Um, the, ca- the out of those characters or any other ones, you know, who made the most impressions on you? Were there any in there which you thought I don't I don't care for this very much or you know, were there some in there where you thought that is a huge point? You know, that's a huge plot point going forward. Uh,
2: Sloan immediately for me, um, I mean, she's mm-hmm. already mentioned she's she's in you know a few other books, and I just was like, I I really appreciate a good villain, mm-hmm. um, and Sloane is that. You know, she's got her own ambitions. She's got. You know, she's trying to hold her piece of the Empire together um, whilst dealing with the antics of Sinjin of and Aura and everybody. <laughs> um, she's just truly formidable. Do you know what I mean? It's like takes no prisoners, sort of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like just a real force that sort of carries quite a lot of the the narrative backbone of the book, I think. Yeah. Um, And I think it it would be a vastly different reading experience if she wasn't involved in it whatsoever. Um, That being said, I don't think she was fleshed out as well as she could have been in this book. Um, I think there was, it just needed a little bit more um, maybe I'm not, I'm not sure. It just needed something extra to her. Um, I, I, I think it's always interesting when you sympathize with a villain. Um, I didn't feel as much sympathy with Sloane just because she's so obviously like
1: <laughs> she's bad. a very a very
2: twisted individual. She, she ain't turning you know I mean? to the
1: New Republic anytime soon, is she?
2: <laughs> no, no chance. Um, so a little bit of sympathy just to get in her mindset more would have been interesting, but I, it's not a huge complaint either.
0: No, that's fair. I think, like yeah, Sloane for me was a highlight amongst the Imperials, like uh, with, with the other kind of novels she's a bit. And she's even, even in like Star Wars Squadrons, which I really liked. Yes. And like, when I was playing that, I'm like, oh, that's Sloane. Yes. yes that's um, but yeah, like, yeah, I know. that's what I mean. It's like the in- interconnectivity you were saying earlier. Um, the rest of the Imperials, no, I, I, can't, I can't even remember any names, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, me either.
1: I have to write them down. <laughs> that's,
0: that's, that's, Oh, I'll you. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've, oh. I've literally, I've got we got Moff Valco Pandian. Of course, you've got General. Oh well, uh, I don't know how to say that, but G- G- General Shale, um, and you've got Arsene Crassus, who was uh, who uh, uh, Jazamari was sent to take assassinate. Oh yeah, uh, that's there, there's your Imperials, mate. But uh, do carry on.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, like apart from like apart from the main crew and Sloan, there's I don't know, like. A few of the interludes were okay, like right, mm-hmm. in some of the other characters, but yeah, like the, most of it was semi forgettable or like I didn't really see the point of some of the some of the bits and pieces. Um, maybe that changes with the rest of the trilogy, but um, that I I actually don't know about that to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> you better get reading, mate. Oh, I will do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I have to say, just with like the mention of the interludes and and the random like vignettes, I really appreciated the Cut wave uh name drop. Yes! Oh, cut! I was like, "Old Cut," that is a hundred. I was like, "Why is that sticking out?" And then instantly, I was like, "Oh my god, Clone Wars!"
0: Oh, <laughs> I was right.
2: Like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, that's that's They've old done Cut."
1: It, it um, also makes me think of the fact that he called himself Cut Loquen. He gave himself <laughs> such a flamboyant name as well. I'll never go yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's so
2: over the top. That 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 um that interlude in itself, I thought, was a really interesting way of like testing the temperature of the wider galaxy. Yeah. Um. So it's sort of you have these these brothers speaking, basically having a, a political debate yeah. over over the dinner table with their dad, and I just thought it was a really interesting like look outside of you know lightsabers and and blasters and you know huge planet killing machines and, and <laughs> Sith and Jedi, and it was just people on the ground and how it's affecting families. Um, I just, that perspective and, and that dynamic, the, the way that argument escalates between these two brothers who are on either side of, of the, uh, political spectrum, if you want to call it that. Um, as, yeah, there's a, there's quite a lot of that of like just examining how the, the fall of the empire has affected normal people on the ground. Um, and quite a few of those interludes, even though they were, thrown in very sloppily i I was like (laughs) very random just put this in the middle of a of a really fast-paced scene what are you doing (laughs)
0: um
2: but like out of that sort of narrative uh context like them on their own i thought they were really
0: interesting yeah No, i completely with you actually like um i really liked the interviews which focused on like you're saying like showing the underground the aftermath, like, I think I put in my notes, sh- the shades of experience of the aftermath of, you got to see, like, a variety from ex-slaves to kids to, like, the opposite sides of the political spectrum, you could say, like you're saying about the Rebel and Empire. Like, mm. whereas some of the other ones, even though I appreciate they made Taris canon from KOTOR, <laughs> yeah. the actual interlude, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> um, yeah.
1: That was the acolyte, wasn't it?
0: Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, like so, Like, ones
1: like that, I'm like, what? What is going on here? Okay. Um, yeah, it's a good introduction for that group, the acolytes, and it's a cool way to bring Taris in. But at, at the end of it, when they're like, "Was that Darth Vader's lightsaber you sold them?" The guys like, I "Don't know." Who cares. <laughs> like, <"I> don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, best. You're bang on there, lads, because what you said, Amon, was spot on. That the the way they are injected into the story, there's no rhyme or reason for them to be placed where they are, which is jarring especially when you're reading Mm. the interlude again sorry the audio audiobooks kind of help that a little bit but when you're reading it it does it it, it is jarring but like you said um jacob mate you get to see like how it affects kids how it affects families there's the the slave trade going on in the galaxy i'll throw in the uh, on Coruscant as well you've got um sorry corelia you've got dengar fighting with the uh bounty hunter mercurial swift um who uh, and during it Dengar's like the new republic there's no place for us here you know it's not like the empire where our our type our crews can survive I, I want to set up a union for the bounty hunters and in mean, Mando we've got the bounty hunters guild which whether or not is tied in I don't know but the idea that even with the empire gone now even the bounty hunters are starting to think well hold on we need to look out for ourselves here because there's just a high chance that the new Republic are going to, they're not going to use us. They're not going to need people like us to do their schemes. That, that one you mentioned on Salukami, I thought that was great, mate. We've got the ta the Tafferil family. One of the lads is an Imperial. One of the, one of the lads is a, a rebel soldier and they're just fighting. And in the end, the Imperial sells his brother down the, down the, down the lake, calls the empire and the dad has to smuggle him out. But it's the stuff that it's a slice of life that you don't really hear about in the films or in anything else. It's you know what happens you know when the war or when when, when soldiers come home, um, that kind of thing I really dig. There was there was a few there's one on a planet called Uta where you've got the kids who are going to the Imperial Academy, uh, and the New Republic guy turns up the emissary and says, you know, there there is the Empire's gone, the Imperial Academy is being shut down, but then at that moment he's left with oh God damn I've got like a bus fo- busload of kids here who've got nowhere to go. What do we do with them? So the New Republic then take them in, which later down the line, we know the First Order also took kids in and turned them into stormtroopers. So there's a a nice little parallel there. But I loved how we saw the different different shades of people and how the end of the war affected them positively and negatively. Um, Yeah, I mean, and the interludes gave us Cobb Vanth as well. He's introduced on Tatooine. Um, We get to see him get some scarred up Mandalorian armor when you first read this book way back when before boba fett had come back in mando and all that did you take that as that's a hundred percent boba's armor
0: yeah definitely <laughs>
2: pretty much yeah i was yeah. like that's good there's only one really that it's got to gonna be yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> <on Tatooine laughs> as well. i uh you know context now with mando and stuff it's it's cool it's cool yeah. You know, yeah. um, it's nice being able to see where, how that's tied in together, um, and you know, Timothy Elephant's hair—just <laughs> that know, that's <laughs> Silver Fox. You know, what a guy! It's not what fair, a guy. is it? It's not fair. No, no. no. <laughs> they—they tra- change the story up a
1: little bit in in Mando, but I, you know, I'm, I, I don't care much, too much about that. the The bones of the story there, and if you look on Wikipedia, they've made it fit, which is quite quite nice. But, um. The, yeah, so the interludes they had some. The, I enjoyed where they took us. We also got a mention of Governor Adol from Uprising on Cloud City. So we find out about what's going on there. Um, the Ankle Biter Brigades, lads. They um, they got an awful. T- I don't care. They got an awful name. I hate. I genuinely hate the name because they're really. They're a really cool group. They're basically kids on Coruscant in a place called Coco Town, where Dex's diner is. Who, basically, just an, they're there to kind of annoy the Imperial stormtroopers, and they're feeding intel to the rebellion during the during the Civil War. That's really cool. I like that. I'd love to know more about them going forward. But I can't, for the life of me, imagine you know John Favreau or something saying, "Oh yeah, let's get the Ankle Biter Brigade into the Mandalorian <laughs> or in Andor back way back when." But am I am I being too harsh, or is that is that a name? It's just a bit of fun. I, it is a bit of fun. But it's no less annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, that being said, I on the reread the first thing I thought of was Skeleton Crew because it's mm. a very similar kind of setup. It well-ish kind of, and I was like, Ooh. I just wonder if there's going to be some way that that the uh, John Watts is going to go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and find a way of like tying it in somehow. I'm not saying that Skeletor <laughs> is going to be still <laughs> the ankle okay. biting group yeah. game yeah. but <laughs> I just think that there's there's some shared DNA in there somewhere.
0: Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> the name still sucks though.
1: Just alone. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. I think I was more excited the fact that dex's diner got a mention. I'm like. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. The name just I completely forgot about it. I was like, when you mentioned it first, I'm like, who are you talking about? <laughs> oh right. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could have I could have potentially done without the name, but the the group is cool, the faction is cool, you know, kids doing their bit against the Empire as well. Um Well uh, any other characters I'm pretty I'm sure we'll mention now going forward. Let's talk about you know the the, uh, the moments that stuck out to us, you know, the things we enjoyed, whether it came from an interlude, whether it came from the main story, whether it was you know a new planet that was introduced or whatever. Now, what's I'll throw to you, Eamon. Now, rereading this now, you know what's one of the moments that you enjoyed from this, or something which you took and thought, yes.
2: Um, so, in my notes, I have two moments in particular that are quite mm-hmm. actually early on in the book that really, really stuck out to me. Um, and the first is with Palpatine's statue being pulled down. Um, yeah. and obviously all the citizens are sort of celebrating and kind of, you know, reveling in that rebellious spirit. And then obviously things get go sideways in the worst way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the line that, that sort of hit me was when the, the dad puts the stones. In the, in his son's hand because the war isn't over. And it's like, he puts the hunk of stone in the boy's hand and he picks one up himself. And it's like, okay, they're fighting back now. And it's like, this kid is now having to engage in street based warfare, essentially. Um, and it's just quite a, it's quite a chilling moment, to be honest. It's Mm -hmm. not a, it's not a pleasant way to start the book, but it, uh, it just sort of sets the tone immediately. Um, And the other one is during Nora's introduction with the PTSD that you mentioned earlier, Jacob, um, and when she's talking about the sort of the defiance and the the defense of her home. And she has a line that literally says, this is my home. And I was like, that is exactly what a lot of star Wars is about. Just protecting home. And I was like, it just, it was succinct enough that it got to the point without needing to sort of over elaborate things. And it just really cut to the heart of the character. Um, so those two moments early on, I was like, yep, I'm in. This is great.
1: <laughs> what about yourself, Jacob? Uh, anything on those and anything you want to chuck in? I know I'm, I'm, I'm not going to answer those.
0: You did this such a good job, mate. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think two of the moments which I, um, I think just just thinking now, like which when you guys are talking, one of them it's probably a series of moments, but I'm lumping them together. Is the inter- which I found quite interesting interactions between Sloane and Wedge actually, mm-hmm. um, in the sense of like when she's talking to Wedge about okay, what basically what did the Empire do wrong? We provided justice, we provided X, Y, and Z, but like it's just Wedge helping Sloane to come to realize that the way the Empire did their things. I think I've got to cut it down here. Dressing up oppression in the costume of justice. Um, Ooh. Show, Ooh. I know, absolute banging quote, <laughs> and, that, and that's like Yeah, I know, and that's uh, that's <laughs> Sloan use that's that's coming from Sloan using that to slap down some of the other Imperials at the um, at the council conference, whatever you want to call it. I kind of forget by this point, um, but yeah, like yeah, that, that was an interesting little. Nuance, and I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting necessarily a imperial to actually recognise that. Um, and I think the other bit I quite, find quite fascinating was in the light of Andor, very much like is um, the whole speech bit when they proclaim like, um, like use the broadcasting tower to send yes. out like um, a fake video, a fake and a fake video and a speech of Noro. That just gave me such Andor vibes of um, particularly mm. the Ferrex daughter of Ferex episode um which i'm like oh this is this is actually it's almost it's its own version of the daughter of ferris so that was like the nexus point of the people turning against the empire as well as causing sloan to change her plans i'm like that was like a little bit which i'm like oh i like this bit
1: yeah yeah no it, it, like i say in retrospect you can look at the book and think wow this ties in so well with what's come on since like there's i get some Andor vibes from this and then later on they they uh, they fake a hologram, don't they, of, of some of a kid being shot in the back, mm. which I thought was dastardly, but very very cool that they'd use that. Like the civilian uprising, that made me think of Andor. The the whole the when one of my favourite parts is what I mentioned earlier on, but it's it, it's the Imperials coming to terms of what the hell they're going to do next. This book for me really really knows how to write the kind of. Frantic panic that these guys would have been feeling. Like the the Empire is dead. The Emperor is dead. Darth Vader's dead. Word is spreading. Propaganda is spreading. They, you know they've cut the head off the snake. As the as the beginning of the books says, you know the war is not over. I'm with you there, Amen. I think it's a brilliant way to open the book. It's a smack in from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, but you know the the imperial infighting, like the sniping and the posturing, for me was really engaging and immersive. Like the, there is a power vacuum there. And people are fighting for position and power, and it just felt grounded. You'd have one of the moths, you know, he, he proclaimed himself a moth. There were people giving themselves titles. There were people they were fighting about um, telling Sloan, "You've got to, you've got to use all of the fleet. We've got to nullify the New Republic now. The you know the glory of the Empire can reign." You've got Tashu, which was Palpatine's weird advisor, saying, "No, we need to retreat to the outer rim or, or to <laughs> the unknown regions." And learn more about the mystic side of the Force and stuff like that. And we find, obviously, we know from Canon that's what they do they they retreat to the unknown regions. But everyone's got their own ideas of what to do, but nobody quite knows how to do it except Sloane. She's kind of the iron fist on the table who's it's fallen on her shoulders until we find out that there is a puppet master at play who we just know is called the Operator who is feeding both sides here. He's feeding the New Republic intel he tells the New Republic there's something going on in the Kiva, And at the same time, he's trying to then position people, like Palpatine, position the remaining Imperials into a place where he can eliminate them so then he can remake the Empire in his or Palpatine's um, visage. So I really love the political aspect. People always used to say that's the most boring part of Star Wars. It was when we were kids, maybe. But now it's brilliant i really do like how it's written in that it's quality mate but the the part of that discussion for me did drag on a little bit i will say that there were parts where a lot more engaging than were um but they, they really got the politics in this and the idea of pure panic in the imperial ranks and the other part i liked which tying into andor again was in one of the interludes on a place called narlol which when you write it down it's nah lol uh but that's from <laughs> legends but it's with it, it's mon mothma we have we know we've mentioned mon mothma but she's in this book she's in this particular interlude but then she's in in the trilogy a little bit more but they're on the this 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 planet and she is with her advisors uh called hostis and auxi and she takes them there so they can see the cost of war you know they the what the civilians are going through in the aftermath of a war and it's at, and at that moment because she's now the chancellor she has the same executive powers palpatine had as well they they say that like so she she has she is all powerful basically so she she says basically once this is once all is said and done and things are settled down i want to demilitarize the new republic i want to cut 90 percent of our forces because if people see a new government coming in like fully tanked up with the military it's the empire all over again and then you've got one of the guys saying no you can't do that because the moment you do that the new empire will, will rise which we see with the first order but i just thought that was such a brilliant continuation of the character that we've come to know Mon mothma where she, she doesn't want she wants to kind of she, it's all about peace first she wants to bring this peace to the galaxy and show that the new republic are there for everybody we're not there to um to govern or dictate you know we haven't even got a military guys we've just got a bear the bare bones here we've got a skeleton crew if you will um I thought that was a really, really cool interlude, and that's one of the ones I hope that they keep. They keep like with Mando coming up and other shows. I really hope that they keep that aspect of the story intact. That the reason why the New Republic over the years were, you know, were there for the taking was because right at the beginning, Mon Mothma demilitarized them. I think that's a really important moment in the book, and it's and it's in an interlude. So some of those interludes did have higher ramifications, but uh they they were mine like the political side of it i did like the action there was a lot of cool action in this i like the character interactions but for me it was the 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 kind of the foundations being built for what the the other books are going to are going to take on um did you guys have any other major moments in it or things that happened which stuck out to you uh
2: the only other one that i've got written down is there's a moment where a, a civilian throws a, a bunch of food at a new republic like representative yes uh, basically just being like you know he's not happy about the way that that they're being treated and the, the way the sort of the politics is now sort of being set up in the wake of the empire basically accusing the new republic of becoming the empire yeah um and this rep's response is basically all right well join the senate you can be yeah. part of the senate then <laughs> exactly. guy's oh, okay. like he's like Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I I just, it was kind of a, it was a moment of levity, but in a really serious fashion that was, like I say, it was almost funny, but in a, in a sort of political sort of in the loop kind of way. Um, And I was just like, that's a really interesting perspective of, of how the new Republic is sort of finding its feet in a, in a really, unpredictable manner because that's such a spontaneous thing to do yeah. isn't it really just appointing a random civilian into the senate Join in. cool. but it's the
1: antithesis of the empire as well because if that had been a stormtrooper they would have shot them on sight or we'll tried to absolutely yeah um
2: and it you know it's uh, they've clearly got some sort of sociologist as uh, uh socialism ideals sorry that's what i meant trying to say <laughs> of trying to get sort of civilians involved and making this you know a welcoming place for everybody um as we know from the sequels that doesn't exactly mean that everything's going to be fine um so it's it's just a just a really fun but like kind of politically i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say it's just interesting it's just really interesting that the fact that they, they've widened the galaxy this way um and it's like we we in the sequels we don't really get to see much of the new republic's inner workings um so to see that that's how they formed the senate of trying to get people on the ground involved sort of implies that that's why the first order might have had the upper hand because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these Day people one. weren't necessarily equipped to, to deal with such a threat. Um,
1: and the book yeah. shows that they- as well. The book continues the idea that, you know, the, the, the rebellion won the war and immediately transitioned to the new Republic, but that didn't bring them riches and ships and everything. You know, they, they are, they're still a ragtag organization in the after- in the aftermath of, of the war, which is akin to your point.
2: Yeah, Definitely. It's, um, I don't know, it's just, it, it's annoying that, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. Wendig's writing sometimes is so on point and so fascinating, and then you have the ankle-biting brigade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> do you know what I mean? And you have all these yeah. characters that do really interesting things, and you've the political aspects, and then you have it's great jazz, basically. Propositioning, Sinjia. Yeah, <laughs> for no reason. You know I mean, it, for no reason. So it, it, I think that's one of the reasons why I struggled with the book. Book in places because it's like tonally really great, and
1: then just so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. One hundred percent. It was. I still even even on reread, I I really really dig this because same with the Clone Wars. When I first watched that, I thought this is okay. And then when you watch the other series, the other films, you read the books, suddenly those moments connect a little bit more and it, 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 you, you get more out of it. And I definitely got that with, with aftermath. I mean, it is, it, at times it's slow. At times it's muddy, muddy in the way it's written. It's overly metaphorical and and, and it is, but like you say, sometimes that works. You know, sometimes that really works And the way he, way Wendig, you know, br- uses the metaphors in, in star Wars terms it's it just what it opens up the galaxy it's a new bit of lore each time sometimes they are very uh, r- real world which took me out of it a bit but that's i mean his his writing i mean he's got two more books to to uh see if we changes up about that or not but i know what you mean there is he's a fascinating writer because he can be like so, so one point he can really paint a picture with those words and at other times, you know, he's talking about you know, like tie, tie fighters and jelly and stuff. And it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And, and and like substituting when he can't think of a metaphor, he literally uses the word like a thing and things like that. It's just like, that doesn't, you know, there's, this book was written in 45 days, I think as well. Let's just chuck that in what? Chuck Wendig, Chuck Wendig <clears throat> put it on Twitter and basically said, this is true. He said, I'd love to write a star Wars book one day, not long after, but I don't know how long, but a little bit of time passed. Lucasfilm said, do you want to write a Star Wars book? And he was like, yes, 45 days later, he's, he's turned this in. Um, maybe it could have done with another draft. That's not me being like overly negative about his writing, but maybe it could have done with another pass. Um, and then he, and then the next books were written. He had A little bit more time to do them, but they were still written with haste. But this one was supposed to come out in November, 2015, because it was done so early. They were like, well, let's just bring it out in September then. Um, so, he, he wrote with haste and i think sometimes it does show but um on that did it, on that point like um amon said about the politics or anything else did you want to chuck in there jacob um
0: not really to be honest the two main moments i that really stuck out mentioned already but yeah no, nothing really else to be honest
1: no i'm i'm just trying to think of anything else to throw in which which we maybe haven't mentioned uh we've kind of, we've gone through the characters um as a whole then about the characters as a whole, mainly the the aftermath gang. So uh, Jazz, Nora, Temin, Bones and Sinjir mainly as our protagonists. How are we feeling about them? I mean, when now in 2023, do we have any kind of in terms of, you know, the book and the canon? Do we have any kind of connection to them? Do you do you would you like to see them pop up again or are they very much? Yeah, they worked in the context of this story and that's where they're going to stay.
2: Um, I'd like to see them again. Um I think I I'm also at the benefit of the fact that I've been playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 relentlessly recently. <laughs> um me and uh, a friend Liam who have been have been playing it pretty much like daily recently. Yeah. Um and I've also been doing the campaign, so this worked really well in tandem with that yes. um with Ida Versio's story. Um and I think, you know, hey, EA, why not release some DLC now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do yeah. yeah. As- yeah. As- DLC. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I- I'd love to see them again. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't have any particular attachment to the characters, but it would be nice to see them again in some capacity. Like, we saw Sloane in Star Wars Squadrons. Um, yes. Like, um, it'd, it'd be cool. It'd be like, oh, I know a bit about that character. Um, or like like we had with Cobb Vamp um in mando mm. um but yeah it it would be cool um i won't complain um nor would i if nothing happened it's just one of those things i'm like yeah okay
1: yeah no fair enough that's uh when i first read it it's a bit like yeah they're they're fine but having gone back to read it because i got a real pang the reason why we're doing these book clubs again is because i had a pang a real craving to reread the aftermath trilogy, and I don't know, I don't really know why that is. I think it's because, like I mentioned up top, I'm really digging this era between six and seven. Battlefront Two plays into that. There's a lot of references in that game to events that happen in and around this time, or even characters in this book as well are are referenced. Moments that happen later on in the trilogy are referenced in Battlefront Two. I've always said that the the books and the video games and the comics, to an extent you know they really really tie together so well they are their own kind of canon which the tv shows and films should then build off of it's we're still getting there but um i'd like to see them again i, I sometimes i do get a bit uh, with some of the books because they've there's so many characters in here and i think to amon's point earlier on where some of the characters like sloan f- felt a little underdeveloped at the time or they could have done there was something missing it might have been because there are so many characters for me, maybe, I mean, I, I, when we were going through the characters, I was looking down the list of characters. and I thought, man, we have, we, we've barely scratched the surface of like, all of the characters who have kind of a major input in this book. And we've, we've only kind of spoken about the main four or five. And I mean, we, if you really wanted to, you really could dive into Admiral Akbar in the way he's thinking and the way he's taken on leadership and his shirtless training as well. At one point, um, <laughs> commander Orgate she she she's great in this john burrell he shows up in later in the in the other books but he's 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 introduced the old bounty hunters there's so many things introduced that at times it can become overwhelming but i think i've kind of grown to quite enjoy that chaos i've gone back to listen to it on audiobook i really dug it i really do enjoy the characters but where with the canon sometimes i kind of wish they would interlink that little bit more and bring some of these characters over from this book into others uh, they have done in 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 some cases in some of the other books but I mean you've got a whole squad of characters here who you know what you know what do they do what happened to Nora after aftermath what happened to Sinji after the trilogy finished and Jazz and all that you know what happens to them i don't expect them to ever you know write a huge another like aftermath revisited type thing but it would be quite nice to know what happens sometimes they set up so many characters and they just never have, there's never a conclusion. They're just out there. Um, so Mm. hopefully we do get to see a resolution for them. But, um, was there anything you want to say about the book in a, I know we've kind of been very open about this and that's the point of this show. We want to be positive, but we want to be balanced. If there's something we don't like, then there's no point pretending it's not there. Was there anything about this book, which we haven't mentioned that was, was more of a negative for you guys?
2: um, I think I think it's just the structure. I think um, for anybody that hasn't read it before, um, for anybody that's maybe not as familiar with with the era, um, it's it's kind of daunting because of the there's there's as we were sort of saying. Although there's people like Wedge, and there are mentions of you know there's Leia, there's Han, etc. It is sort of throwing you in the middle of a bunch of new characters, and mm-hmm. then throwing a somewhat messy structure. So it can be quite daunting. Um, yep. I think that's. Uh, but I think there's a lot to be there's a there's a lot to get out of it. I think is is the gist of what I'm saying. Really, um, yep. it's so it's a worthwhile read. You just kind of have to stick with it, <laughs>
1: <laughs> bang on, yeah, hang on. what about yourself, Jacob anything that anything that stuck out that was a little bit unsatisfying for you
0: um apart from the bits and pieces we' talked about, I think the one bit which um I did actually go up and look up actually is I didn't realize it was part of the journey to the force awakens initiative um like on the slightly like stepping back from the story is um like I appreciate how it is connecting the pt to the sequel trilogy um like, quite a bit, um, to the extent where my brain's going, couldn't the sequel trilogy connect a little bit more itself? But do we need a book for that? That's, that's, that's like, one of the things, that's the crux of what was going through my mind it's like We need a book to connect two of the trilogies together. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a negative. I like what I've read in the book, and the f- odds and ends we do get in the sequel trilogy. I'm like, I'm like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I'm like, hey, what's that?
1: um yeah 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 um
0: that's it's just just one of my things particularly with canon books i'm like yeah it's just it's a fine line between supplementary reading and making it a central reading for the films which i think at least with the first aftermath book uh, a little bit of teetering a little bit i don't know about the rest of ones the rest of them you guys may have read them but
1: yep Oh yes, we've read them. Um, well, <laughs> some of the um, some of the plot points in this book do really nicely set up what's to come. There's the the interlude in hyperspace where uh, Han Solo and Chewie are on the Falcon. They're chilling. They're enjoying the spoils of being war heroes. They're a bit bored, and then um, an old contact called Imra <laughs> comes on, who Hans Hans being harmed with. He's a little bit cheeky with her, but she basically says, "Look, I found out there's a window of opportunity on Kashyyyk. That if you go there," There's a chance th- that you can liberate the Wookiees. You can free Kashyyyk from the imperial, um, the imperial rule. Sorry, the imperial rule, which is going to then set up what happens next. So we get a little bit of Han and Chewie and a, and a setup for for that. Um, and there, uh, there's another setup in there which has immediately gone from the top of my head. Now, Jakku. Sorry, yeah, you know, we're talking about setting up the sequel trilogy i think they do a bang on job of jakku in this book as uh where they're just like it's it's nowhere there's a guy called corwin ballast he goes to jakku he's lost his wife and son in in a skirmish with the empire and this bartender called Er urgel's like what are you doing here nobody comes to jakku the imperials the new republic they don't care about us they i don't even think they've ever been here i'm sure they will do in the future but and they bas- they basically spell out that Jakku is a, is a graveyard, is a wasteland. It's, in the, it's it's the last stop before you get to nowhere. I think they do a really good job of that in terms of setting up to the Force Awakens. Um, that that to me is the best tie-in. Is how they deal with Jakku, the politics. I think they do it better in the book than they do in the films. It's not. I don't want to knock the sequels because I dig them. But I mean, the what they give us here. It's like this is such an tantalizing setup for what's to come. I also understand that this is it's this is like 30 years before the Force Awakens, so what happens in the halls of the the Satrap Palace on Akiva may not fully um uh, not have a knock-on effect on what happens later, but you know, I'd I'd love for them to kind of in the sequel era revert back to you know what happened at the beginning. Um but if it doesn't it doesn't, we've got the books. And the books are, for the most part, very decent. Um, right, before we wrap up, then I'm going to put you guys on the spot with the final question. Afterwards, is there anything else you wanted to chuck in about the book, for the better or worse, about anything?
2: Just that Mr. Bones is great. <laughs> yeah, definitely <agree.
1: laughs> flat out. <laughs> well, so we love him. We love a murder joy who performs violence. Oh, right. So um, this wasn't in the notes because it's not. A, it's not a question that re- that requires any logical thinking per se. It requires a number. I think you know what's coming now. Out of, let's go out of five, what would you rate Aftermath now? So you've read it, you've chatted about it, whether your thoughts have gone up and down about it. Out of five, yes, we, we can do half measures as well. Let's make it easy. <laughs> um, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to go Jacob. You look confident. You're rolling the your sleeves up. What would you give Aftermath yeah, well, out of five?
0: I'm going to say a solid three, middle of the road for me. Yep. I'm it's, in, it's good. Good in places. Uh, I
2: I will sort of, be ever so slightly more optimistic about it, uh, and go three and a half. <laughs> mm. Just, just because some of the, the political context and the sort of inner workings of it all, um, mixed with sort of like the, the powerful imagery of the, the reshaping of the galaxy and how people are feeling really resonated with me. Um, but that messy structure just, even though I appreciated some of it, yeah let it down a little bit
1: yeah no so we've got three and three and a half i'm with jacob on this one it's a three for me i was originally thinking two and a half out of five to go right down the middle but i think this book's got more pros than it has cons the structure i know we've said it ad nauseum but that really is the issue with this mm. book is is the, is the present tense doesn't always work some of the metaphors some of the wording isn't always great it can also be a bit convoluted at times when you're trying to read it and trying to kind of work out where you are in regards to the story, who's where, what should, who should be doing what. That said, the politics are awesome. I dig the new characters that are in here. I love the setup. I love the, how we get mentions of other characters like Akbar and Mon Mothma and just what they're doing, but they're not necessarily the focus, whereas Wedge obviously takes on that. And I love the feeling, like like the front of the book says, the war is not over. Uh, At the end of Return of the Jedi, the guys are there on Endor, they're having a party with the Ewoks, they're loving it. But, whilst they're partying on Endor at the exact same time on Coruscant, whilst that, st- that, that statue is being brought down, you know, the, the, the stormtroopers there are, far, are it's business as usual just because, you know, the, the Death Star's gone. They're still in charge as far as they're concerned. And the fighting continues. We've got fighting in the streets and, you know, the war is just beginning again, almost like the, this is, this is the aftermath of the first war. Now the war for the galaxy continues in a, this in a different visage and, I think the book does it excellently. So three out of five for me. So pretty much middle of the road for Chuck Wendig's Aftermath, the 2015 novel. Um, We'd love to know, obviously, what you guys all think of the book. Uh, Obviously, you've read it because you're listening. If you haven't and you've enjoyed what we've um, spoken about and want to go and read it, let us know what you think about Star Wars Aftermath. We are going to be running a giveaway on the socials. We are going to be giving away the trilogy of the aftermath books so if you've read if you want to read this book and then think well actually i want to read the next two we're going to be doing a giveaway keep your eyes on the social for that the entry requirements are going to be very very simple so keep your eyes on that and we want to know what you thought about the book but that is going to wrap up star wars sessions book club for chuck wendig's aftermath uh, lads thank you so much for coming on tonight uh, and giving giving your time thank you for rereading the book as well uh Jacob mate, thank you for coming on. This is your first uh, ever sessions appearance, I believe. Yes it is. <laughs> yes. I know you've been on the um watch along. Eamon, mate, thank you for coming along. We met Eamon at Star Wars Celebration when he was cosplaying as Han. Um have you been on the <laughs> session since? Uh I think I've had uh, a few voice notes, but that's yeah. about it. Uh well, it. this is first full appearance. First full appearance. Well thank you so much, lads, for coming on. Giving that your time one evening to talk about this book. Thank God it wasn't an awful one. Um We'll, we'll throw it out there. We'll throw it out there. We, if you want people to find you online, feel free to tell people right now where they can find you to talk about Star Wars or anything. Eamon, whereabouts are you online?
2: Uh, I am mainly on Twitter uh, at Eamon Jacobs. Uh, you can also find my my work on insider.com. Um, I'm a little bit on Instagram, but yeah, Twitter. I'm mainly just ranting about Tron Legacy, Star Wars, and how great Cobb Vance hair is
1: nice oh, it really is <laughs> isn't it we'll hopefully get some more of that in Mando's season three upcoming uh Jacob if you want people to talk to you about Star Wars where can they find you sir sure I
0: am on the Instagram um and the handle is the Yorkshire book lover um and I just literally just talk about books on there mainly Star Wars stuff recently but yeah just feel free to pop a comment on there or whatever
1: Yep. Go follow those guys, go support the work that they do. Uh one reads for a living, one writes for a living. It's great fun. Get them together in a book club, and then I'm stuck in the middle of both of them. But thank you so much for coming on. You know where to find the session, starwarsessions.co.uk Luke usually does this bit, so I'm gonna struggle. Uh search for Star Wars sessions across all of social media. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. Two dollars a month. You get plenty of exclusive content. Yeah, a discord as well if you want to join our discord and talk about star wars or anything for that matter for free it's a fun environment it's a safe space it's family friendly it's a good laugh there's a lot of people on there jacob's on there as well just uh dm us and we will give you the link for that but in the meantime one more time jacob lads eamon thank you so much for coming on tonight and giving your time everyone listening from me see ya
0: the sacred jedi text.